What if the speed of light was 30 miles an hour? What if Earth had two suns? Which cereal mascot would win in a what fight? What if everyone lived underground? What if, it rained what if money grew what on if trees? What if pigs could fly? I don't know if that would actually happen. It's much easier to store a unicycle than to store a horse. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. So we have not quite a fight episode today, but it is a bit of a competition, I, I think. We're, gonna, we're not going to go with our typical fight format that we do in other episodes, but our question today is, which movie heist crew would run the best restaurant? It's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, but it's basically exactly what it sounds like. We each picked a you know, a heist crew from a movie series, imagine what kind of restaurant they would do, and then try to see how we can make that restaurant successful. Well, I'm sure we'll have, you know, restaurants related to what our characters are best at. Then we'll kind of each go through ours, and then we'll try to come to a consensus on which would be most successful, which may be easy conversation. Maybe we have to vote. Maybe we have to vote multiple times. I don't know. There's only three of us, and usually democracies are more than three well last, yeah well, last time we voted and it was a tie and then you refused to do a second vote and it just ended on a tie so yeah like i said three people's a weird number for, for for coming to a conclusion on that but anyway can we also say that when it was a tie it was because chris and i both voted for each other's and marcus voted for himself yeah <laughs> well that's because mine was best <laughs> well, and, and the best part was that I'm pretty sure we were both like, well, we're not voting for Marcus's, Chris and I. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, well, it was it was the one. Uh, it was Disney princess. Disney princesses. Princess, yeah, princess. Would have the best. Well, crime spree. Well, very. The best yeah. crime spree. Yeah, it's crime related. Kind of flipping, so, flipping around this time. It's really just that I have so much more street smarts than you two put together that I know what the crime spree's got to look like. And you just didn't really see my vision. So um, we'll see how you guys feel about my... Uh, restaurant planning prowess yeah now the now the criminals are trying to not do crime exactly they're trying to go straight ish uh we just didn't want to do a heist because that would just be a little bit nonsensical and we didn't want to like look up real security things well yeah it's tough we, we've done a you know a little behind the scenes here we've done it we've done a bunch of heists in the past on things uh and they're always fun to do except for the fact that it's really hard to just like google what the real security measures you need to overcome are because you know it's security you can't just like look up what is protecting the mona lisa exactly because they don't make that really public so that oh, we people did do don't that <laughs> figure we... out ways around it but we did do the mona lisa so we found some information just not like yeah hey what modern systems are currently protect protected you're not going to find the system or all the countermeasures that are there and how they work because again security it would not make sense for to make that information public Anyhow, why don't I get us started so we can see what we're doing here. And uh, the movie heist crew that I picked up was the Ocean's Eleven crew. Mainly because that franchise has the least amount of movies. <laughs> you had to watch them. Yes, I had to, I had to watch <laughs> little to no heist movies. So when we were picking which ones we would do, I picked Ocean's Eleven because there's only, uh, well, there's four movies. I didn't find Ocean's Eight anywhere. Um, so I watched the Ocean's Eleven movies. 11, 12, and 13. Ocean's Day is like a completely different crew anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, funnily, I knew that they added a person each movie to like make the number one more person. It actually took, well, I'll say it took me about like 
it was like halfway through watching the second movie that I realized why they called it Ocean's Eleven. Like I just didn't think about the title, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> There's Ocean. It's called Ocean. For those who don't know, it's called Ocean's Eleven because the the main guy, Danny Ocean, has a crew of eleven people, and they're his eleven. Because they started the heist at eleven o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So real quickly, the crew itself: Danny Ocean, main character, head guy, ex-con, Robert Rusty Ryan, Danny's partner in crime. Really, I, I consider Rusty the real leader because he's just better at it than Danny is, but that's my personal opinion. Frank Catton, con man, Ruben Tishkoff, wealthy friend slash former casino owner, basically the funds. The brothers Virgil and Turk Malloy, both mechanics. Livingston Dell, electronics and surveillance expert. Basher Tar, explosives expert. The amazing Yen, acrobat. Saul Bloom, elderly con man. Linus Caldwell, pickpocket slash also con man. Then we do add, they do add, like I said, they do add people in the later movies. Um, I didn't end up using them in my restaurant. In in Ocean's 12, they added Tess Ocean, who is just Danny's wife, but she doesn't really, like, do that much. Like, she's not, she's, like, does stuff in the movie, but I wouldn't have counted her as, like, a new member of the crew. And then Ocean's 13, they had, like, one guy, Roman Nagel, who was kind of part of it, but he's, like, basically a side character that they unofficially elevated. And then the 13th was, like, their arch nemesis who really just, gave money one time and didn't do anything else. So really, the core 11 are what I'm using for my restaurant. So where I started, of course, was looking for ways to use the crew's unique skills and line that up with a marketable hook for a restaurant. I feel the trickiest skill, but potentially also the most exciting, would be to incorporate Basher's explosive knowledge. Because if you can combine explosives in a restaurant, you're doing well, but you really don't need many explosives. So I, I was, first thing I looked at was whether you could cook food using explosions which you technically can, except for the fact that um, heat transfer doesn't really work that way. The reason you slow cook things is because things get cooked better if they're cooked for longer. You can't make explosions that will cook a piece of meat through. You'll disintegrate the outside and it'll be raw inside. It just doesn't work in a timing. But if you have lots of explosions... That's called just a low flame. <laughs> You're just reinventing fire. A lot of them. <laughs> but, but, but... I did find a YouTuber named Dynamite Eric who used explosions to tenderize the meat he was about to make for dinner. Basically, he takes the meat and throws it in, like, a water bath and then explodes it. And I'll say, watching the video, I will say that Dynamite Eric did not provide much evidence to show that his method, you know, worked at all. Besides, like, holding the meat afterwards, he was like, wow, this feels really tender. <laughs> um, so I was a bit skeptical about his methods. <laughs> Tenderness is now a uh, seven. Instead of a six. But then I found a bunch of actual legit research papers on the topic that confirmed you can use explosions that generate shockwaves in water at the right frequency to increase the tenderness of meat by like 50 to 70% without losing quality in other areas. So it's actually a legit thing that is like people are trying to get working. So Dynamite Eric actually had the info. He was legit. So this this is our this is our first hook really in our restaurant. Boom goes the meat as part of the prep. I, I, you can probably like stage it and set it up where it's like you come to our restaurant and we explode your meat before we cook it to make it the most tender. Nobody else is doing that. That gets people in the restaurant and that puts Basher on meat prep. The other thing I wanted to use then was to somehow incorporate the con man aspect of the team because like literally half the squad are just con men without too many other specific skills. They have, like, young and upcoming con men. They have old con men. They have main guy con men. They have buddy con men. Like, it's just everyone just does the same thing. 
So I decided to use one of the tricks for their movies. And I think an appropriate use is that they, sh in their restaurant, can just fake celebrity appearances. In Ocean's 12, they have a whole extended scene, which, in my opinion, a bit too extended. It, got, it was like a bit awkward by the end of it, I think. But they have Tess Ocean, who is played by Julia Roberts, pretend to be Julia Roberts in the movie <laughs> as part of a scam to sneak into museum. So it's like, oh, you kind of, you know what? You kind of look like Julia Roberts. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> really, guys? <laughs> and then Bruce Willis shows up and like, it's this really awkward thing. But anyway, I think they have enough people and enough acting and conning skills that what they could do is they could just cycle through a bunch of quote-unquote like celebrity appearances and start building their restaurant reputation off of it being a place for celebrities to visit. It's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once you say that celebrities are visiting, even if they hadn't visited, and even if the original ones were like, I never went there, it's going to convince other celebrities to come to your restaurant. And then you do have real celebrities visiting, and now you're building this real high-end, high-exclusive restaurant. And those are my two main kind of like hooks is exploding the meat getting celebrities in my name for the restaurant is going to be pop arazzi with the... oh i didn't come up with a name i gotta think what? of one <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> well you have until your answer comes up <laughs> <laughs> i did take some time to figure out what jobs people would be doing though based on their actual you know based on their personalities in the movie because i thought it'd be fun to kind of assign roles to make sure i had kind of everything covered in a good in a good capacity in charge of everything, main manager, guy running the show, uh, not Danny Ocean. It's Rusty. Again, Danny is the main character, but really, Rusty is basically the one always getting things done. And, like, he's doing all, like, the legwork. And even when Danny's doing, like, managing things, Rusty's there helping him out and seem, be seeming to do, like, most of it. Like, Danny's kind of hands-off manager. Where I'm putting him instead is head chef. Not necessarily because he's good at cooking. It is implied he can cook. He offers to cook dinner for his wife on his anniversary. So maybe he can cook, but there, I didn't see any evidence of him being a great cook. But I think if he's not manager or head chef, he just won't settle for that role. So I'm going to make him head chef. Um, he's decently creative. He is like a kind of a, a big ideas type guy. So I think he'd be good making the menu. Uh, and that would be a good role for him there. Frank Cotton, he can bartend. He has experience. He was a, he's got, he did experience as like a casino dealer. So he's really used to dealing with the public in that kind of capacity where he's working, but also making a bunch of small talk while he's going through. Livingston Dell is their tech guy. He, him I found kind of hard to place because you really don't need that much high tech at a restaurant. Like you don't need too much in the way of like hacking computers and things. But in the Ocean's Eleven movie, the Malloy brothers, uh, who I'll get to in a second, they're, they're the mechanics. They built a remote-controlled driving robot. Like, they just had, like, this little mechanical rigged-up rig that would that drove a car, like, through a whole freaking city. It was remote-controlled, but I think with a little bit of work, they could set it up so that Livingston could be kind of, like, in the basement of the restaurant doing all the deliveries through a bunch of monitors on these driving robots. Um, so I'm putting Livingston in charge of delivery. The Bullet Brothers themselves... They've posed as waiters actually like a couple times in the movies and I had them pegged for that initially. I'm like, okay, cool, done, they're waiters. But then I realized pretty much any con man type is going to be just fine waiting tables. Kurt Malloy, one of the brothers, did actually do a stint where he worked in a kitchen as part of a cover. All you see him actually make is a dumpling that is intentionally designed to poison a hotel critic. So, so again, <laughs> no, no direct evidence of him making good food, but it is implied that he's working regular shifts too with the guys. Um, 
there's like a scene where it's like, no, I gotta get back because, you know, we split tips. And if I don't, you know, put my weight in the guys, I think I'm skimping them. And so if he's got some cooking skill, uh, that's really what we're lacking more than personable skills. So I'm putting the Molloy brothers in the kitchen supporting Danny. Also, I think if they're both there, like, they may have some capacity to go around and run and do a bunch of odd jobs, which is basically all they do in the movie. They, they just, anything that doesn't have a specific person to do it, the Molloy brothers are there doing it. Which really just leaves a couple more roles to fill in to make the restaurant run. Waiters, I've got Saul Bloom and Linus Caldwell, basically the oldest and youngest con men of the crew. Not too surprising they get shafted because that's kind of how that goes. You put the new guy in and the old fart can, uh, you know, just fill in where needed. We have Amazing Yen. He's the acrobat, um, basically. Little five foot one Asian kid that's, uh, I'm, I'm putting him on bus, bus person duty. One, he's probably going to be good at balancing the plates. You know, he maybe he can make a little bit of a show of, of like balancing a whole, like taking out a wallet stuff, but he's not super personable. Um, he's also the most juvenile, like in attitude. So I really don't want to trust him with any of the main jobs. So he's bussing. And then the last member of the crew hasn't done anything yet, Ruben Tishkoff. And he's going to do what he does exactly in the movies, which is not get involved too much and finance the thing. So I think they'll have an advantage actually kind of like in starting capital to get their their restaurant going and uh yeah that's paparazzi run by the lotions 11 crew who can't even cash in on their name because i don't think anyone really knows who danny ocean is in the public <laughs> i think he <laughs> likes it that way chris i hope you've thought of a name for your restaurant because it's your turn i have it's not good but i'll reveal it at the end <laughs> <laughs> okay i still haven't thought of it but i will it will be in the back of my head i thought of it i just realized that it's bad <laughs> So the high school that I picked was Mission Impossible. So Mission Impossible has, I guess, the crew, they work for the Impossible Mission Force or the IMF. And the crew has sort of like changed throughout the series a bunch. But some of the later movies, there's really been kind of a core group that's formed within like the last, I don't know, like two or three movies. So the main guy is Ethan Hunt. He's in all the movies, obviously. He's pretty good at, like, being out in the field and, like, he's pretty physical. He's strong. He's actually pretty smart, too. And, like, he knows technology and stuff. Kind of just, like, an overall rounded character. Next is Luther Stickle. So he's the only other character that's been in all the movies other than Ethan Hunt. He is also good with computers. He's basically, like, the computer guy for all the movies. Then there's Benji Dunn, who is played by Simon Pegg, who is... I think my favorite character and he was originally a technician, but then in the later movies, he becomes a field agent. So he like becomes more involved with like shooting and like disguises and stuff. But because he was originally a technician, he is also very good with technology and computers and all that. And then the fourth member, which I'm not actually sure if she is an official member or not, but she's, she's been in a lot of movies is Ilsa Faust. So she was originally working with the MI6 undercover as an assassin with a group called the Syndicate. It was kind of confusing, but now she no longer works with the Syndicate or the MI6, and she works a lot with this Mission Possible crew. So obviously she's an assassin, so she's pretty good at, like, actually pretty much all the stuff that Ethan Hunt is good at, she is also good at. So... Those are the four people. My crew only has four people. I wasn't actually sure if we're like allowed to hire employees, but I assumed that I would just hire waiters because you can't have... Yeah, no, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> and in the movies, they're like always in constant communication. They actually don't... I don't think they like ever show 
earpieces, but they're always talking to each other. So I don't some advanced technology. They definitely have like like dramatically like I feel like they've given earpieces to people before when they get brought in unexpectedly into something. Maybe. And they've definitely like you know dramatically like push their finger to their ear when like they lose communication. So earpieces seems like a fair. But they never have stuff in their ears, so I don't know. Yeah, they're just really small. They're very small. They're ear patches. Yeah. Either way, they're in constant communication, so obviously they're going to be able to coordinate with each other. I think that's true of all of us, but the Mission Impossible crew's thing, basically in all their movies, is that they're very good at infiltrating like very highly secured places, like overly complicated security systems. They just find a way in, and that's their thing. That's not really a problem here with the restaurant. Like, There's nothing to infiltrate, so... That's not useful, but... Um, I mean, if you leave the door locked by accident. <laughs> yeah, maybe. they'll never get locked in. <laughs> but what I imagine is that every order that they get is basically going to be like a mini mission. So like when you're taking your order, it'll be like your mission, should you choose to accept it, is this ribeye, is a ribeye cooked medium rare or something like that. And then the order will self-destruct because that always happens in all the movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which will be fun, I think. And it'll help tenderize the meat. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of which, so I was looking up different types of food in the movies. I wasn't, I couldn't remember if there was any food in the movies or not. The one thing that I could remember, and there might be other things other than this, but the one most memorable thing is gum. So in the first movie, they have this red light, green light gum. And it's basically, it's a stick of gum. Half of it's red, half of it's green. And when you push the halves together, it explodes. So... I was thinking you'd have like a scaled down version of this and it'd be like some sort of table side attraction. Apparently you can use it to tenderize meat. So thanks for finding that. <laughs> I can also <laughs> well, do that. I don't think if it's, if it's table side, customers don't tend to tenderize their own meat. You don't really throw some well, raw yeah. chicken on your customer's laps and say, hey, stick this gum together. That's the selling point then. Touch your own raw chicken before we cook it. Basically, we just also have access to explosions. If it's useful, <laughs> which apparently it is. So, but going into like real menu items, Mission Impossible is, is a really big, like globe trotting franchise. They've been like all over the world, a bunch of different countries. So, just to list a few, they've been to Prague, London, Sydney, Berlin, Moscow, Rome, Shanghai, Dubai, Vienna, Casablanca, and Paris. And there's like a bunch of other ones too. And since they've been to all these places, that means I assume they've like eaten at all these places and they're familiar with their cuisine. So they can uh, include them on their menu. They know all these. They have this like really diverse menu, which is a draw, I think. So that's their menu. I don't have any specific dishes because I didn't look anything up, but. I can't name one dish from a foreign cuisine. Yeah. This this <laughs> is very uh, appropriate for. I was going to say very appropriate <laughs> for you, Chris. Yeah. I mean, I, I do got to say, after spending two weeks in Italy, I came back, and now I know all how to cook all Italian cuisine pretty well. Yeah, exactly. That's how it works. But really, like, the one of the biggest things that the Mission Impossible crew is known for is, like, their gadgets. So, like, whereas Ocean's Eleven, they're kind of, like, they more con their way through to get into places. Mission Impossible has these really high-tech gadgets that help them. So I figure we can use these to help us. And one of them that could be pretty handy literally is the sticky gloves that they use in ghost protocol so 
In Mission Impossible Ghost, Ghost Protocol, Ethan Hunt uses these sticky gloves to climb up the side of the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. And he like sticks it to the glass and it like a little light lights up and then he pulls himself up and uh, he climbs like that. One of the like worst noises to hear in a restaurant is when someone drops a tray. Uh, no more drop trays with these sticky gloves. We're going to give all our waiters these sticky gloves. Is Are the gloves going <laughs> to stick to the tray? But and also stick all the silverware and plates and cups onto the tray. They're they're like toggleable. They don't. They're not always yeah. sticky. You can toggle them. Or or what I'm saying, if you adhere the tray to the waiter's hand, it doesn't stop them from dropping a bunch of plates and cups onto the. This craft. is a very valid point. We yeah. can make sticky trays silverware. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you make the silverware sticky and not the tray? <laughs> Why not? Because you want the food, you don't want the food to fall off the the silverware, <laughs> or the dishes. Yeah, I don't know. You'll make it work. <laughs> and speaking of gadgets, since um, Benji and Luther are both actually like pretty good with tech, they like to automate things and stuff like that. I figured our our kitchen will be completely automated. I think the IMF will have the technology, like access to technology that's capable of this, and. There are actually like examples of automated kitchens in real life. So I looked up some of them. There's one in Boston that's actually called Spice. It's not there anymore. It is permanently closed now. So it was very successful. Yeah. That's <laughs> what you're saying. If you go to their website, it just redirects to Sweet Green now. Um, so I guess Sweet Green bought their website for some reason. But there are other examples in like Asia and Iran. So it's a thing. It exists. There's technology out there already that can do this. And the IMF is supposed to have like the top of the top technology. So they can do this, I think. Now, Ethan Hunt and Ilsa Faust in the movies, they actually do a lot of motorcycle driving uh, or riding. Mission Impossible 2, there's like a lot of it. <laughs> uh, and then in the most recent one, there's a lot more too. And what I imagine they can use this for is basically just like high-speed deliveries. So they basically ignore all the traffic rules in the movies. So I imagine they would do this in real life for this uh, for the delivery to get the fastest delivery for customer satisfaction. And then since Benji and Luther are like in charge of the automated kitchen, they'll stay in the restaurant. They'll run the restaurant side of it while Ethan and Elsa, Ilsa do the delivery part of it. So that's like the basic function of the restaurant, kind of. But one of the biggest premises or one of the biggest technologies that uh, the movies use is, and it's basically, it's probably one of the, like the famous, most famous thing of the movies is the masks. So like in, I think every single movie, there's a mask reveal where they pull off the mask and it's like someone else. Uh, But these are like super realistic masks that make you look like someone else and they also have voice changers so like you put something on your throat and it makes you sound like the person are you sure you're thinking of mission impossible not scooby-doo <laughs> <laughs> i mean i haven't seen the movies but it sounds a lot like scooby-doo they're, to me they're not they're not like they're not like a latex mask they're like they well i mean it's just literally the other actor playing the person so it looks exactly like a real person <laughs> i mean i think in the world of mission possible it is a latex mask <laughs> it just looks yeah, really good yeah but Basically, the premise of the first movie was that uh, he needed to like find out who the mole of the IMF was, and he spent the whole movie doing this. And then 
um, eventually figures it out. The thing is, for restaurants, like food critics are a pretty big thing. And you don't necessarily know who the food critic is. And I think that's what we're going to do is we're going to use these masks and these voice changers to blend in with the crowd, with our customers. We're going to like talk to people and then like use deception and deduction. We're going to find out who these food critics are. And then once we find out who they are, we're going to like focus in on them and make sure that their experience is the best experience it can possibly be. So they give us a good review and then we'll get more customers. But what if they're also wearing an elaborate latex mask and you are fooled by their clever disguise? We're, we're trained to see that, though. So, <laughs> Oh, yes, 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 yeah. of course. So that we're not going to fall for that. And the thing with Ethan Hunt is basically, like, whenever he gets a mission, he, like, makes sure that it's, like, no matter what, he completes his mission. In most of the movies, it ends up with him, like, basically on the brink of death. <laughs> but he, like... With his last bit of energy, he, like, pushes a button that stops, like, a giant bomb or something, and he completes the mission. So he's gonna, if he wants to please this critic, he's gonna please this critic. Man, American work culture is so toxic. (laughs) (laughs) And just a final thing that's sort of unrelated to other stuff, but speaking of celebrity appearances with what Marcus was doing, we also can use these masks to do that, which they've, like kind of done that i guess they don't they've never done celebrities in the movies before but they've done other people obviously and you won't just be limited to um like oh you sort of look like julie roberts (laughs) you can do anyone so that'll be a big draw was that in your notes or did you just steal that because no that was you have the same technology (laughs) that was in my notes (laughs) okay i just had nowhere else to put it in my notes so i put it at the end (laughs) (laughs) And then the name, I guess, that I came up with last minute, instead of Mission Impossible, it's Chicken Impossible. (laughs) You know what? I don't hate it. (laughs) So welcome to Chicken Impossible. Uh, Ben, what did you do? So I did the Fast and the Furious movies. If you somehow aren't familiar with the Fast and the Furious movies, they are, and I'm taking this directly from Wikipedia... A series of action films that are largely concerned with street racing, heists, spies, and family. There's not a question mark, but it was always kind of a weird thing to well, say. Family is a huge thing. It's a huge part of Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. Family is really important, Ben. It is. It is. Family is the biggest thing. Yeah. It is funny because the movie, the first one basically is just like Point Break, where it's about an undercover cop infiltrating some like sort of relatively low-level criminals who are like street racers and also steal stuff. But then by the fifth one, it's basically just also the Mission Impossible movie, but with more cars. It is also the naming of the movies gets very confusing because I'm going to just go through them because in order it is the Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, Fast Five, Fast and Furious Six, Furious Seven, The Fate of the Furious, F9, and Fast X, which I'm assuming they're using for the Roman, Roman World for 10, but it is literally X and the, all the stuff, so who knows. At least the ones with numbers are the appropriately numbered movies. <laughs> well, so you say that. There is one interesting thing, which we need to briefly talk about the timeline of these movies, because something very interesting happened. So after the first two, so after the first one, they couldn't get Vin Diesel back. He wasn't interested in the second movie. So they did another one that was just... um with Paul Walker's character. 
But in the third one, they couldn't get anyone from the original cast back. So they decided to do kind of like a soft reboot, which was Tokyo Drift, which was vaguely successful. And they didn't really plan to keep doing movies after that. And eventually they did decide to bring more, obviously, to do more Fast and Furious movies. And probably the most popular part of Tokyo Drift was a character named Han, who was played by um, Sung Kong. And they wanted him to be able to be in the movies. But in Tokyo Drift, he dies in a fiery car crash. So they basically just made the movie be set before Tokyo Drift. So Fast and Furious is actually set before Tokyo Drift, as is Fast Five and Fast and Furious 6. But why wouldn't they just make him come back to life? Like, it's something you can do in movies really easily. You're and just like, done hey, that. that scene where we It's funny you say that because they, they actually that. do that in the ninth one. <laughs> yeah. They yeah, actually like, bring him back to life. <laughs> like, it's... You just... Say, oh, wow, you know, that scene was, like, really bad, but then you cut away, and you cut back, and then it's like, and there he is getting into the ambulance. <laughs> I know. it. Whatever. It also even gets even more confusing, because technically, that character Han, Tokyo Drift isn't actually the first movie he was in. So the director of Tokyo Drift, and also, like, four later Fast and Furious movies, Justin Lin, his first solo-directed movie was a 2002 crime drama called Better Luck Tomorrow, about Asian American high school students who like get bored and wind up in petty crime. And Sung Kong appears in that movie as Han, and he and Justin Lin have both said that it's the same character and that's his origin story. So technically, it's part of the Fast and Furious universe as well. Mm, okay. <laughs> Which I only found while doing this research and thought was absolutely wild. They were just like, yeah, sure, that's in there too. It's the same guy. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. But anyway, the actual, so the crew. There is Dom Toretto, who is Vin Diesel, who's kind of the, like, leader of the group, the father of the family, if you will. There's Brian O'Connor, who is Paul Walker's character, rest in peace, Paul Walker, who in the first movie is an undercover cop who's infiltrating the gang and then becomes friends and eventually um, marries Mia Toretto, who is Dom's sister. There's also Letty Ortiz, who's Dom's love interest and eventual wife. And then there's Roman Pierce and Tej Parker, who are both friends of Brian's from when he was younger. And there are also other people who float in out, obviously. Han, I mentioned. There is uh, the Rocks character. Um, what's his first name? Hobbs. There's just reliably six to seven people available who are all mostly good at cars, and that's kind of their big thing. So in terms of actual like cooking in the movies, there isn't a whole lot, but there are four, in four of the movies, different times where they have like a family grilling session in a backyard one time dom is cooking one time roman is cooking and then the other two is not really clear the food's kind of just there i will say that it looked a lot better when dom was the one cooking um so sorry roman but he'll probably be the chef in this situation when we get to that point i will also say that it kind of bothered me i was looking at the scene from the, the first movie and for the most part they have like seven people there and most of the food is, like, the correct proportions, like, for that number of people. But for some reason, they have a bowl of grilled corn. And <laughs> in the bowl, I could see eight ears of corn. But that was just what was coming out of the top of the bowl. And there were probably at least, like, at least 12 ears of corn in that bowl. I just didn't understand why they had that much corn. I don't know. It was a very small thing, but... Probably the only one that's analyzed this bowl of corn. <laughs> um, without a doubt, yeah. Um, but in general, yeah, the food, it was, like, chicken... A salad, grilled corn, baked beans, cornbread, a uh, bunch of Coronas. Once there was like coleslaw, just always kind of just grilled food. So if we're going to go off of the food that we know they can cook, we're going to go with grilled food. You know, sort of burgers, hot dogs, chicken, 
various barbecue sides. That's a nice, you know, nice, safe food option. And we know that at least two people in the crew can cook it. And if we're going to try to encompass the spirit of the Fast and the Furious movies in this restaurant, there are clearly two things we need, and that is cars and family. So there are two good options there, obviously, which for cars, you have food trucks, you know, obviously. And then for family, you can just do like a family style dining where you have like big portions where you order like a few things that are shared amongst a bunch of people. I honestly tried to figure out if there was a way to do an Olive Garden food truck um, because they had that <laughs> if when you're here, your family slogan. Oh, my Lord. But I decided that I didn't want to spend a bunch of time talking about Olive Garden. And also, I figured that Dom, A, is, I'm assuming, Italian and would not like Olive Garden. Uh, and B, would also probably find their whole family shtick very insincere. I did learn that Olive Garden does not salt their pasta water, which is weird. Uh, and also that apparently Post Malone owns the rights to the When You're Here, Your Family slogan. What? <laughs> so, so like, sorry, why don't they salt the water? We'll go it for that one first. It faster and tastes better. So like you save salt. But apparently no. they're afraid that it's going to, like, do something with the warranty of their pots and pans. I don't know. It's going to, like, damage. I don't why know. Why would you buy pots and pans that aren't warranty to have salt water? I don't know. It, it also, like, I think... It's only a problem if you put the salt in. It only can even be a problem if you put the salt in before the water starts boiling. If the water's already boiling, it doesn't matter. The problem is involving, like, oxidation or something. I don't know. But, like, it doesn't matter, but that's what they, they do. They don't salt their pasta water, which is why their pasta tastes kind of bland. The Post Malone thing is because Olive Garden stopped using the slogan, and Jimmy Fallon had been making jokes about when you're here, your family on a show for a while and bought the rights for the slogan from them. And then at one point he had Post Malone on his show and they went to Olive Garden, which apparently is Post Malone's favorite restaurant. And as a gift, Jimmy Fallon gave Post Malone the rights to the slogan. So now Post Malone has it. So do they, I'm pretty sure I've heard them use the slogan in commercials recently. I see. I thought that too, but I also don't really think, know the last time I've seen an Olive Garden commercial. Maybe they now license it from Post Malone. I don't know. I or he lets them use it because he's a fan. I I don't know. Like it. Who knows? I mean, could it just be a Berenstein thing where it's like we just assume we hear that slogan, even though they their commercial doesn't have it in it. I honestly think that's part of it. And I also just don't know how many ads they even have because I I thought back and I was like, when is the last time I actually saw an Olive Garden commercial? Point being, I didn't do Olive Garden because those were the only two fun Olive Garden facts I found. So now I share them anyway. So we're here with food trucks and family-style dining. And you may notice that food trucks and family-style dining don't really go together very well. Um, because a food truck is a place where you go to, like, a counter at a food truck and order it and sort of stand around and eat it. And with family-style dining, you, like, bring a bunch of people and order a bunch of stuff and sit down and do all that. So, like, that doesn't really vibe. So what if the idea, since we want to be going, you know, driving around in cars anyway, what if the idea is that the food trucks are basically just a mobile kitchen for the restaurant, which is also moving? Which brings us to the Fast Five bank vault chase sequence, which is a sequence in Fast Five. It's probably my favorite sequence in any Fast and Furious movie, where they steal a vault from a bank by attaching cables to two Dodge Chargers, pulling it out, and then driving the bank vault through the streets of, I think they're in Rio de Janeiro? I can't remember, wherever they are, um, being towed behind two Dodge Chargers. This vault is roughly 10 feet wide and 14 feet long, which is easily enough to fit a table and chairs for a party of 10. So what I'm seeing is you have a food truck <laughs> that is the kitchen. 
you have two they don't have to be dodge chargers but i think dodge chargers are a good choice uh at the front pulling the restaurant that is in a tour of whatever city they happen to be in at the time you effectively will need one waiter three drivers and i'm going to say two cooks which gets us to our six people we have um, most of the stunts like involving cars in the movies involve either people moving themselves or various items between cars that are going very fast. So they could easily transfer food from the kitchen of the food truck into the restaurant that's being hauled around by the cars. And obviously it's going to be an incredibly exclusive place because there is literally only one table. So it's going to have quite a high price point, I would imagine. But I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of uh, where I wound up is a restaurant being hauled by two Dodge Chargers that is having food left across, you know, gaps and moving cars uh, from a food truck. I, you have a question. I, I have. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, many. But <laughs> <laughs> my first question is uh, the, the comfort of the guests in the restaurant being actively towed behind two Dodge Chargers. Mm-hmm. I imagine the, the bank vault was doing a bit of uh, sliding like spark. I haven't seen the scene sparking, grinding, bouncing off of things, a bit. Yeah. Brassing through d- dumpsters, stuff like that. It goes through a bank at one point, a different bank. They bring a bank vault through another bank. They probably wouldn't do that with a restaurant. Have you ever like tried to like take a sip of water when you're someone driving like stops slightly too much? <laughs> yes. Do you have sticky silverware? We could invest in some. It is a high price point restaurant. It may be sticky after all the Coronas have spilled onto it. It just sort of naturally. <laughs> uh, okay. That'll work. Yeah. How, how aggressive is the driving? Uh, have you ever seen a Fast and Furious movie? So you're going to stick with that level. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it would be disingenuous not to, right? That's what they're paying for. <laughs> the sandwich, the, it has to be handheld foods. It's got to be like, our menu is burritos well, no yeah like it's it's sandwiches. like it's like chicken wings corn on the cob maybe some you know some sandwiches yeah it's it's grilled food you know that's what they know and that happens to work well in a being pulled behind two dodge charger situation did you have a name i did not come up with a name i'm not gonna lie oh what how did you guys not name your restaurant i don't know <laughs> i didn't think that i would come up the only one I could come up with doesn't actually work, but it was the breakfast and the furious, but it's not a breakfast place. So <laughs> but I like that name. Yeah. I'll t- I mean, you could go breakfast and furious and just like, you just don't serve breakfast and that's part of the, the shtick. I mean, they could do breakfast. Like it's, it's, it's a food truck with like a flat top in the back. I'm sure. So you could do breakfast as well. I could see more clientele in which you need. Cause it's, you know, going to be a pretty expensive restaurant to maintain. Yeah. <laughs> the gas costs alone. Yeah. The insurance. <laughs> the insurance. Oh, you're not getting insurance. Yeah, you're going to have to. There's going to be some waivers that have to get signed, I think. <laughs> by the city at large. <laughs> yeah, by everyone involved. Hi, welcome. Wait, welcome to the neighborhood. We have um, a waiver you need to sign about a restaurant. <laughs> uh, that just says the restaurant is not liable for any damage to your property. Wait, what? My property? Not there? No, your property, the restaurant. I guess technically, if we really want to make this slightly more feasible, you could do it around a track. But that's a lot less fun. <laughs> you sound so disappointed. Yeah, I mean, it's a way better idea, like, practically, but I don't want to be practical. We're pulling a restaurant between Dodge Chargers. <laughs> you could do it on, like, an exciting, like, like do it like the Norburgring or something. Yeah, that's fair. It doesn't have to be just, like, a NASCAR track. It's a little inauthentic. I mean, it should just be barreling through the streets causing it horrendous should. property damage. Yeah. The bill, is, the bill isn't the food, it's just the collateral plus <laughs> right, 5%. Yeah. <laughs> collateral damage plus 5%. Exactly. And you employ... You have the entire city employed as construction workers. 
Honestly, it's it's a it's a good jobs program. Let's be honest. <laughs> generates jobs and creates job openings. Yep. It's perfect. I see no no flaws with this plan. Okay, so we have the breakfast and furious. We have the ki- chicken impossible, and we have paparazzi as our three restaurants. I'm inclined to vote for myself, so Chris, why don't you get us started on your opinion? Well, for names, I think I have the winner. I would have personally <laughs> gone with fish and falafel bowl, but <laughs> chicken impossible <laughs> is pretty good too. I don't know. I feel like mine and Marcus's are pretty similar. They're also far more practical than breakfast. Yes, they are, they are legitimately restaurants. I mean, I I love yours. I'll say I love yours the most, Ben, in that it is the most exciting to me, and it wins the the, the audience choice award. It uh, wins your heart, but not your brain. Yeah, it's just not going to make any money. No, <laughs> it's just no, it's not. Untenable from are we trying to vote on the most successful one? Uh, all right. What if we do the most successful and the most like most profitable? Wait, those are the same thing. Those That's not what I was trying same. to say. Yeah, the yeah. one that we have most like to go to is the one I was most trying to say. I'm dumb. Well, we can say we can say the the best restaurant idea, and then the most like we can start with most prof. Maybe just like yeah, um, from a practical sense, it's me, it's either me or yeah, Chris's. You do have a a larger staff, which adds overhead, Marcus. You have a larger staff. That's true. I have a really diverse menu. I don't think that's a plus, though. It's not necessarily, no. It is going to increase ingredient costs and probably spoilage. Yours, your restaurant has a bit of a has, has a bit of an identity crisis. Mine explodes meat. That's what we do. We explode. Oh, I can we do ex- that, too. We explode meat in front of celebrities. I so can that's do that, too. So that's the problem better... is that you do, you do too many things, Chris. It's not focused enough. I have a better version of your celebrity thing, though. Hmm. That is true. Like, you can only, like, does Matt Damon exist in your world? Because you can only do like Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, George Clooney. George Clooney, Bernie Mac, Brad Pitt, <laughs> Elliot Gomes, yeah. Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, Eddie Gemmison, Don Cheadle, Xiaobao Kitten, and uh, Carl Reiner. <laughs> Reiner. Like, I can do anyone. Mm. He has a point. But how many do you need? How many celebrities do you need? I mean, eventually you're going to get through all your, your whole crew and then like they're going to get bored. It's going to be like, oh, he's there again. I will say that if you told me there was a restaurant that reliably had Brad Pitt and George Clooney at, I'd be like, okay, you know what? That's probably enough for me. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Like, I mean, you know, like, at a certain point, you kind of had diminishing returns on number of celebrities. Also, I think, like, even when the jig is up, it's like, I, I would go to a restaurant that reliably has, like, a really good George Clooney But also that, right? Like, yeah. Um, For the explosion thing, I can also do the explosion thing. I... I'm not going to lie, guys. That's not as big of a selling point to me as I think you think it is. No, it's just kind of neat. It's neat, I mean, I, but it's I, not I like, like, yeah. I think my I think my crew could do it up as a show as, as just a hook. I think if I were picking one of your two restaurants, I would probably go with the Ocean Eleven, Ocean's Eleven crew, just because as con men, I feel like they are, they are better at putting on a show than super spies who try to stay, I mean... You can argue they don't necessarily stay all that low profile in the Mission Impossible movies, but that's kind of their intent most of the time. But what if you get locked out? I mean, my crew is also very capable. Yeah, of they can into they places. can do that too. That's kind of their thing as well. So, I also realized halfway through the episode a much better idea for a restaurant that I'm just going to share, which I wish I did instead. Is I mean, this would apply to any of us, but it's a heist restaurant where you just announce that you're going to be hosting a dinner service in a secure location and then just like heist, but your heist is 
inserting a restaurant into like a museum i'm not gonna lie marcus i was really hoping that what you were gonna do was have a really big menu like a cheesecake factory style menu but because all your waiters are con men they you only actually make like three things and they just convince everyone to get one of those three things <laughs> <laughs> and our specials today are <laughs> Uh, all right. What, 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 where can we draw a difference between our two places? I, I think the showmanship gives, gives yours an edge, Marcus. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, I'm going to vote for mine and you're going to vote for yours. So Ben is the deciding vote and he votes for yours. So yeah, that's, I'm, I'm putting my foot down if I'm the deciding vote. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I, I had, I had some other things with Chris. I, I liked your automated kitchen. Uh, I think that's a plus, but you said you had two guys running it. So it's like, how much manpower are you really saving? I did not. I did not like your gadget use. I think the gadget use was poor because we. I got. I got trays that may or may not function. They have a lot of gadgets, but not a lot of them are practical for a restaurant. <laughs> Gum that can explode at the table, at for your entertainment, I guess. So are we gonna? Are we gonna? Are we gonna? Are we gonna conclude there with uh, with paparazzi edging it out by one vote? But breakfast and furious taking the 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 clear audience choice favorite. Yeah, the people's champion. Because I think all three of us vote for that one for the for the cool one. <laughs> yeah, it's got three votes from from this podcast anyway. Let us know if you have a vote for your favorite restaurant. And you want to let us know. Shoot it in the the YouTube comments. You can shoot us an email and just be like, I like this one, or uh, put in a review. Write us a five star review and just be like, Oh, by the way, I like Breakfast and Furious. Here's my vote. There's not really a good place for us to put a poll in our podcast medium. Uh, as is right now so. just open your window and yell it out and we'll we'll feel it in our hearts and maybe someone on the street will be like what's that i'll listen to that podcast yeah it's viral marketing all right with that we're gonna move on to our uh would you rather question ben i got a food one for you so are you ready yes would you rather only eat foods that have never been cooked or only eat food that have been cooked oh so Okay. I feel like one of them gives you way more options. What counts as cooking? Again, we're going to go with the, the, the obvious method, the use your judgment method of if you get it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's cooked. It's identifiable as yeah, I co- that's cooked. That's a cooked version of that. Okay. All right. That's fair. See, I just I feel like you're just way more limited to only eating non-cooked food. Like what's what's the upside of of well so i was thinking are are drinks included in this because you don't cook drinks it's foods food is there's food and drink but uh you cook some drinks i guess like does heating like what would you consider a cooked drink technically pasteurized milk okay let's not include drinks because drinks are just weird because you can't cook you can't cook a drink like you can't take this and be like this is cooked water you boil you it. You can. It just yeah, you boil it. But then even like change it at all. Alright, but what what about like like mold cider or mold wine? Those are cooked drinks. Yeah, you could you can identify you could be like, hey, this this drink has a cooked component to it, but I want to I want to exclude okay, drinks. We'll exclude drinks. Alright. Okay. Just because it, it, I was including drinks because I think that's the one that I think drinks like even it out. I think it's really uneven without drinks. Yeah. I don't know. I just like like raw fruits and veggies a lot. I mean, I do, but also I just like all other food a lot, too. <laughs> and you can also eat those raw fruits and veggies cooked, too. So it's not like you can't eat those anymore. They just have to be cooked. Yeah, you, you lose that part of the... You, you lose a bit each way. 
I guess potatoes are a big one for me for wanting to go cooked. I'd be fine doing like sauteed or roasted veggies for my veggies, I think. Like I like like salads yeah. and, and stuff. Like cooked like, veggies isn't aren't bad. Yeah. And you can cook a fair amount of fruit. You can do like grilled pineapple stuff like that. Applesauce. Yeah, any sort of jam. Any sort of jam, yeah. I feel like you're super limited if you go with non cooked. Like what is your what is your daily meals look like as non cooked? So breakfast is like fruit. Cereal, smoothies, fruit, salads. So what's your lunch? Salads. Salads. <laughs> does bread does bread if you bread buy bread is, at a store, does it count as bread cooked? Is bread is definitely cooked. cooked. Yeah, it's baked. A lot of cereals are probably cooked too. Yeah, the grain. Like yeah, you you have to cook the grain somewhere along the line. Yeah. I just feel like there's not much there if you go with non cooked. Yeah. <laughs> You're very limited. Yeah, it seemed closer when I first posed the question. I'm like, <laughs> oh, you're gonna only have to eat like meat and roasted veggies on the other side you're gonna have all the nice fresh stuff and then you can't like be lazy and just like grab an apple from somewhere but yeah a lot more stuff is cooked than it, i thought it turns out we cook special. a lot of our food <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> sorry these lists are so bad sometimes um chris here's one for you since you're an author would you rather have your books read by a few hundred people or a few million people <laughs> oh, gee i wonder <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This one caught me off guard. Would you rather have your wisdom teeth pulled or your butt cheeks pierced? I'm on my own list of all foodier ones. Would you rather never use cutlery again or use cutlery for, cutlery for everything, including bananas? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It's like I always use cutlery. Well, yeah, like what about like a banana? Like a banana. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> would you. <laughs> Would you rather get a grape stuck in your nose or get a bit of popcorn stuck in your teeth? One of these feels a lot worse than the other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like getting a grape stuck in my nose would be traumatizing. Getting popcorn stuck in my teeth is just called eating popcorn. Actually, on the on the topic of silverware, I have... So would you rather only use spoons or only use forks? I think we did that one. I think we did, did we? that one. I think we did that one, yeah. Oh, never mind then. I swear, it's, I, I think we've talked about that one before. <laughs> it's, it's funny because on my list, I was just looking at which rather only be able to eat with a knife or only be able to eat with a spoon. Why a knife? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think forks and spoons are actually kind of similar aside from like, and that's what we talked about when we did it before, aside from like soup. Well, anyway, guys, we only have to do one of these things to get through this episode. So uh, we've done like seven, oh. one, and then like six bonus ones. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, I'm going to call it there. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to support us directly with your hard-earned dollar, not even plural do- dollars, just one dollar, you can give that to us each month on our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals. Uh, become a patron, you get access to our monthly bonus episode. It's awesome and fun, and uh, it's just more content for you that's hidden behind a little paywall. And then other things you do that don't cost money... Send us questions. We love to get questions. Send them to us, absurdhypotheticals at gmail.com via email. If you're on YouTube, you can post it right in the comments. If you are enjoying the show, tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your acquaintances, tell your coworkers, tell people on the street. Just shout it at people in the park and be banned from the dog park. But then they realize how good the podcast is and they let you back in to roar applause. Good way to it's, word of mouth is just a great way for the show to grow as a whole. So just let people know about it. In any case, join us for 
uh, in two weeks for our next episode where we answer the following question. What if Norse myths were real? Thank you.